Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 312. Welcome back. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Today's guest is Lior Gantz. Lior is joining us from his hotel in Tel Aviv, Israel, where he has just wrapped up a two-year journey traveling across the country. So there may be a bit of background noise you might hear during the interview. But today, Lior and I are talking about his experience and his journey in the investing world. Lior has actively been investing in the markets since the age of 16. And in the 2008 timeframe, Lior was implementing a real estate strategy that he shares today that he was able to do from out of the country while investing in the U.S. That's namely around wholesaling. So Lior's got plenty of great insights as he is the chief editor and founder of Wealth Research Groups. So we're going to talk about his perspective on kind of the global markets and the current situation in today's environment. So let's go ahead and jump right into this week's episode with Lior Gantz. All right, today I'm excited to bring on the show Lior Gantz. Lior, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, happy to be here, Jacob. Yeah, absolutely. It's our pleasure, Lior. Well, you're joining us from Tel Aviv, actually. You are a world traveler, but before we get into all that, let's back up. Tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, what you do, all that good stuff. Sure thing. I think what happened in my life in terms of like entrepreneurship, when I was 13 years old, my father's business went under and I had to start working for myself. So I started babysitting in a neighborhood and then I upsold, as they say, the, the parents and uh, <laughs> told them I can also coach basketball and then tutor the, the kids. So between ages 13 and 16, I'm starting to save money and spend it on my own and do my own stuff painting decks and whatever I can do, handing out flyers. But by the time I'm, I'm 16, this is 1999 to 2000, the banker in my branch tells me, hey, you got like $20,000. Why don't you sign a waiver, get your parents to sign a waiver as a minor because you're 16 and then you can trade stocks. So that's how I got into stocks. That was a fluke because this was June 2000, three months after the dot-com bubble bursts. So actually, you know, hindsight, a great time to get into the markets. And between 16 and 22, I'm just reading, reading, reading anything that I can get my hands on. Uh, first year, I think I, I went through like 100 books on investing, stock market and whatnot. And then 2008, 2009 comes along. I focus a lot about uh, real estate, actually. That's how I got into real estate heavily. And then around 2015, I started to think the big problem for most people my age or younger, so the time when I was getting started is that in the school system, if you break down their day, if they sleep for eight hours and then they're four or five hours with friends and eat for three hours and do whatever, they have little to no time to even think about money. It's so funny. You know, you ask people that are 18 or 19 to write a check, they don't know 
All right, check, you know, basic stuff, not talking complicated. Yeah. So I said, look, if I can launch a newsletter, a free newsletter that's just sharing what I'm doing every day, because I'm reading and speaking with CEOs for about six to eight hours a day, that is a great way to do it. If I can shrink whatever I'm doing to a five-minute article, five-minute read article, that'll be the best thing. That's how wealthresearchgroup.com was launched in early 2016. And what we do is basically merge what I read into articles and also how I invest. I actually, you know, put alerts out on specific stuff that we look into. For example, in 2017, when Bitcoin was around $400, which is uh, much less than it is today, we said, look, this is an amazing opportunity. Went to 20,000, so a 50 time return on, on that. And that's basically what happened with my life. A tragedy at 13 sparked my research into entrepreneurship and investing. And then a banker at 16 uh, launched me into investing. So, yeah, what a fascinating turn of events from, you know, kind of taking the similar approach, you know, as many young teenagers do, you know, working for that extra money through school, but you had a different kind of approach with it and you saved to invest. And that's led you where you are today. Now, Lior, we're recording this podcast for the audience members listening in in May of 2020. So as you obviously are aware, there's some really crazy times we're experiencing right now. I'm curious to get your take on the current situation, this global pandemic, what you're seeing in the marketplace, maybe what people aren't considering that maybe they should be. What's your opinion on stuff? So in March, what happened was that the retail public, so in other words, people that have uh, trading accounts that are not institutional, are not your pension funds, not your sovereign wealth, fund, not the big money, not the hedge funds. They panicked. The retail people, you and me, people like us, they really panicked and they just liquidated everything, went to cash. Didn't want to even exchange their stocks for bonds, didn't want any exposure to any markets. And the market just tanked about 35%, but it did so in such a violent fashion, in such an aggressive fashion that we haven't seen before. Not in 2008, not in 2000, not in 1987, not in 1974, not even the, in the Great Depression of 29. This was the fastest bull market to bear market transition in history, 16 trading days. On that Sunday that started the week that was awful, the Federal Reserve came in and it had to create a situation where the credit markets that are literally the bedrock, think of them like the tectonic plates of our system. If they collide, it's a huge tsunami. So they had to do an emergency measure, and they did. Basically, they saved our way of life. They haven't fixed the problem. The problem is too much debt, you know, uh, artificially low rates. There's so many problems in the system, but they saved it for another day, right? Yeah. And that's why you saw the markets reacting as they did, which is a quick bounce back. The markets are always forward-looking. So you know, most investors that are out there are thinking about 2021, 2022, when they price how much stocks are worth. That's why you're saying to yourself, how can we be at 42 million people unemployed? And the stock market is up like 40% in one month. So, And that's why, because they're not thinking about the present. The stock market always prices ahead. It could be two years ahead. And then you're saying, oh my God, this is too much forward looking. I don't want to have any part of this. There's too much downside, et cetera. This is the drama of the markets, but this is what you're seeing from public markets. And then Obviously, what happened in America, very different than any other country, is the amount of bailing out, the amount of people that were made whole. Uh, helicopter money for the first time, so direct infusions of $1,200, 6000 per family or 3000 per family for the first one, 6000 with the second one. An infrastructure program, you know, 
all of this. This is stuff that America can do. Other countries, it's not so easy because the dollar has a unique role being the reserve currency of the world. 61% of all the currency in the world is the US dollars. And 50% of that is outside of the United States banking system. All of the world is trading dollars. And that's why the America has this privilege that they can bail themselves out more quickly in a more uh, efficient way than other countries. Now, it does lead to abuse, right? Because the country that has the most debt is the United States. So I think it, overall, what you're seeing is you're seeing markets that are very forward-looking. In real estate, you're going to see a lot of opportunities, especially with office space that is going to be problematic. There's going to be distressed uh, real estate that has to do with hotels, that has to do with uh, storage space, etc. All these things that were booming during the good years, they're going to be problematic now. I think a lot of private equity will come in there. Just as a retail investor or like you and I, an individual investor, there is a way to invest in these situations, especially if you're an accredited investor. But even if you're not, there are public REITs that invest in stuff that you and I don't have access to. For example, if you think hospitals are going to be important or elderly homes, stuff like that, you cannot go out there and just buy a hospital, <laughs> even if you pull money right. or crowdfunded. But you can through uh, public REITs or private REITs, depending on your situation. So I think a lot of opportunities are coming our way in real estate. And also, you know, in the private markets, like in the single family home market, there are many people that right now are saying, I don't want to be around uh, large condominiums. I'd like to own a single family home. That's a big trend that's happening. In fact, you know, I, I just bought four homes in Florida and they're all rented in market like easily. So it just, it's very specific to where you're investing and if you can connect with the right people. I always do this as a passive investor. So I look for experts who I can partner with and we joint venture this because I want to outsource all the legwork and the diligence that have to do with it. Sure. Yeah. Lior, the way people work, live, travel, shop, so much more is changing so quickly right before our eyes that there are a lot of opportunities I think we'll see in the real estate sector. Like you said, from the way people are shopping, from the types of real estate that will be in demand, you know, healthcare, senior living, you know, affordable housing, especially in the US, affordable housing is a big issue. So I think there's lots of opportunities. What do you see there exactly? Well, the first thing is that we haven't even seen delinquencies. We haven't even seen the problems yet because the helicopter money, many people that are out of job are paying the rents. So you have to think this is very artificial. If this continues, which it won't, right? Because you're not going to keep paying unemployment benefits to people in the casino industry, in the cruise ship industry, in the hoteling industry, in the tourism industry for a year, year and a half going forward. So at some point, we will have real distress, distress that the government will not be able to just come in and intervene with. So patience is the key right now. If you're looking to put money on your own and you're circling your neighborhood, you're looking at opportunities within your own backyard, just wait. If you have money to put to work right now, one of the best ways to do it is to actually lend money to companies. I just made a loan to a fund and got a 10% interest rate for it. And it's all backed by a condominium building that is about 400 units. So this is a $40, $50 million you know, condominium and you can literally lend them 50 to 100K and get 10% on it. So and I think these are going to even rise. So you, you will see some companies paying 12%, et cetera, and very reputable funds, very reputable companies. 
So that's one way to do it. There's a lot of ways to do it in the US. So that's one thing that is not volatile, right? It doesn't matter what the housing market does. You're getting a fixed income return. And think about in light of what the alternatives are. So if you don't want to be in the role, of course, that the markets can be right now, this is a way to get fixed income backed by real estate. Now, if you want to invest in real estate on your own, I think part of what you're going to see is you're going to see it in about two, three, four, five months, six months down the road, you will see the real trouble come in. You will see if this is a recession that's more prolonged because a lot of industries are going to change. Many companies have to downsize. Just think of the cost involved with changing, stripping, stripping all the seats from every commercial plane out there and reseating everything. All of these things will pay a big cost and they will have to downsize. I'm talking about airline industry, but the airline industry has indirectly, you know, a multiple of about four to five. So, you know, airport security, airport employees, and then the taxis, the restaurants, it's all connected. It's all one relationship. Yeah. So tourist hubs and tourist areas are going to be impacted. In fact, just to, to give you an idea, I wanted to go on a vacation in about a month and I'm calling the country that I want to go to and they're telling me, look, why would you want to come? I mean, half of the things will be closed. There's no vibe. You know, even if the country opens up, it's going to be bad. So I think the tourism industry is just punting everything by one year. They're already acknowledging that this year will be over for them. So remember that. That is a big issue. I think what is really an opportunity right now, Jacob, is interest rates. If you're able to capitalize on low interest rates, man, right now you can originate mortgages that are 30 years with 3 or 4%. Those are unheard of opportunities in terms of how you can capitalize. To give you an idea, if you take, let's say, a $150,000 home mm-hmm. that rents for, let's say, 1400 a month, okay? Or 1300 just to make sure. it simple. Yeah. The property manager takes $130, so 10%. Yeah. Got water and sewage, all that. When you're all said and done, if you were to take a mortgage on that house and rent it out, the renter would not only pay your mortgage, in other words, your principal and your interest and all of your bills and the management company, you'll also have free cash flow left. Literally, all you would be putting onto this $150,000 house would be the down payment, which would be, I don't know, 15, 20, whatever it is. And then the rest of it will be paid for by your renter for the next 30 years. That is the primary vehicle that we talk about so much here on the show, Lior, cash flowing real estate. That's the name of the game here on the real estate way to wealth and freedom. Absolutely. Okay. Well, in that case, look, this is what I did in 2009. And this is what I'll be doing in the future. And many people cannot apply for a mortgage. What I did back in 2009 a lot was a seller financed opportunity where Basically, a lot of uh, troubled homes, if they're not upside down, if they have equity, they can, you know, I don't want to get too technical, but that's one niche that I was involved in in 2009. And another niche, if you have, you know, two minutes, three minutes, I can explain another niche. Please, yeah. Sure. So in America right now, there are about 2 million vacant homes. Why are they vacant? So many reasons. Divorce, people just, you know, just have too many issues. They just leave the house. It starts to collect debris and, you know, the landscape looks trashy. People come in, they strip the wiring. I'm not talking about areas that are rough. Talking about, you know, good first-time home areas. You'll drive around the street, you'll see a vacant home. No for sale sign, no nothing. It's not on the market or anything like that. 
if you can find the owner, and the way you can do that is through the tech assessor's website, mm-hmm. you can reach out to that owner. If he's not upside down on the house, in other words, if he either it's a free and clear, doesn't have any mortgage, or the mortgage is less than, than the price of the house, because these homes are tend to have uh, problems with them, they cannot be sold. Even if you wanted to, you cannot go on the MLS and just list it. There will be no buyer for it. So what he has to do is sell it at a discount. But he could be other side of the country, not willing to deal with it, doesn't want to deal with the realtor. So many reasons why people just leave the home for months on end. I know it sounds crazy, right? When I started to look at this uh, in 2008 and I was like, why do people you know, get an inheritance, get the house, and for a year do nothing with it, just leave it be? But there are so many of them. And these are very motivated sellers because if you come to them with a legit offer, they literally have, you're a solution to them. So you look them up through the text assessor, you find their new address, you market to them. So if you can find their phone number, there's services to do that where you can find people's phone number, it's on the public record, et cetera, or you can send them like a direct mail. If they, you get them on the phone and you know your numbers, here's something you can do without investing a single dime. And without closing on the house, you get the property under contract. Let's say it's this house, the retail would be sold for $200,000. All you need to do is know a few of the legitimate flippers in your neighborhood, people that are in the business of buying rundown homes, putting them through a process of renovation and then putting them on the market for $200,000. For that to happen, they would need to buy it for far less. And once you know it, people are willing to sell those houses for far less. So what you need to do as part of the strategy, get the owner on the phone, negotiate a price that works for your buyer. In other words, you need to know your numbers. If the buyer wants to sell it for 200000 and he needs to put 30000 into it in renovations, blah, 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 he needs to get it for around 100000 If you can get the house under contract for 100000 all you need to do is assign your rights to close to another person for a few thousand dollars, then you're out. You don't show up at the day of closing at the title company. You don't need the money. You don't need anything. You're out. You just assign your rights to this house to another person. And deals like that are getting done every single day by people with no money to invest in real estate with just sweat equity. If you don't want to drive around the neighborhoods and look for vacant houses yourself, what I used to do, because I'm not even in the U.S., yeah, right. <laughs> I used to put ads on the gigs section of Craigslist for people to do this for me. So cool. They would go around, <laughs> they would go around and they would find vacant homes and then they would take a few pictures of the house, send me the address, send me everything. I used to pay them per house and then I used to start the process. Like I said, I give an example is a retail home that sells for 200,000, for example. You would need to get it for about 65 cents on the dollar minus renovations. So in other words, 130,000 minus if it needs like 20,000 in renovations, you need to get it for 110. Yes. And then all you need to do is assign your rights for five or six or $7,000 to your buyer. He goes ahead and closes, but you don't even care anymore. That's it. You're done. You're doing the next thing. And deals are like that are everywhere. They're not in just in Florida or just in uh, California. They're everywhere. They're in your backyard in Houston. Absolutely, Lior. This is what we call wholesaling. As you know, a great strategy for many beginning real estate investors or aspiring real estate investors to get started. In my perspective, Lior, I'd like to hear yours. 
real estate investors' sole purpose is a problem solver, right? It's not, you know, going in and buying real estate and selling it and, you know, remodeling kitchens. What it really boils down to is they're there to solve problems. So they're selling, solving problems for that potential owner. And then they're turning around and selling, solving a problem for that potential buyer, that house flipper or that real estate investor. 100%. All business, all of life is basically solving other people's problems and getting paid for it. And the more specialized you are, the more you'll know your numbers, the more you'll know your prices, and the better you are to generate solutions. So a starting entrepreneur, his main problem is he's looking for a problem to solve. So many startups are trying to find a problem. And that's just not the way to do it. The best way to do it is look for an existing problem. <laughs> don't go out and create problems, right? <laughs> yeah. Or don't get sophisticated with it. You need to be efficient with your time because you have to understand that if you really respect yourself, what you want is to solve a problem and to have time to enjoy the money that comes with it. So I think that is an important point. What's even better about wholesaling is that it's so online that you can really do it from anywhere. You don't have to focus on your, if you live in a small community or a rural area or whatever, and it's not abundant in your area, just do it elsewhere. Or from the hotel lobby of Tel Aviv, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. doesn't really matter. If you have the system in place, then yeah, you can do it. Anyway, I think real estate will always be a recession-proof industry because there are always, you know, everybody either living in a house that they're renting, that they own. You know, you have commercial, industrial, it's everywhere. It's a huge land, a huge industry. And just to give you an idea how big it is, if Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Jeff Bezos took their money and put it into the Houston real estate, that money would be gone in less than a month. Yeah. That's how big the markets are. So it really depends on finding a niche and seeing if you are a fit for real estate. That's, it comes down to that. Do you have the personality, the skills, et cetera, to get into real estate? And if you don't, you have the personality that can change, that can morph. You know, when you get into real estate, you may not be a person that likes to network or likes to be on the phone or likes to do the legwork. There are many things. Real estate, I like to say that the real estate industry is perfect, but I may not be perfect for it. <laughs> so I think that comes down to that. And what I also like is to look for ways that are not as competitive as other ways. So there's so many niches that are highly competitive. Yes. It's hard to pierce into them. They're blocked, basically, uh, to new entrants. Don't try to do them. Look for other ways, right? So I think that's important. In general, I think any crisis time is better to enter into real estate. So now would be a great time to enter into real estate fresh. There's so many problems to solve right now. And I think in the next few months, it will get even more distressed. That's a great point you bring up, Lior. And something I wanted to ask you on the show today is that is, there are many people out there looking around the world right now, looking at the conditions in the market and thinking, hmm, should I go ahead and make a move? Should I buy that investment property? Should I get started? Or should I wait until the market you know, reaches the bottom and you know, trying to time things? What's your perspective on that? So the bottom is, when is the bottom set? I don't know. <laughs> it's set after the fact, right? So we could already have been through the bottom or the bottom maybe in the future. There is no way to call the bottom. It's just impossible because it's done in retrospect. Same thing with the top. All you need to do in order to buy rights something is to do your numbers and make sure that it's cash flows. Then you need to make sure that alternative investments don't do better. So there are two, basically two processes you need to go through. 
You need to do the numbers for any given opportunity in real estate. And then you need to look at other things that are outside of real estate and see if those create a better return for you. Yeah, uh, risk fair. adjusted. Mm -hmm. Okay. The one thing that I always stick to with real estate is that I want to make sure that if I buy something, that it cash flows, even if it's only rented 10 months out of the year. Okay. I like that. So I, so that's the first thing I want to make sure. The second thing that is really important is to understand that real estate very differently than uh, the stock market, Jacob, is a much more accurate market. In other words, if your neighbor's house sold for 100000 if somebody knocks on your door and says, hey, I want to buy your house for 70000 it's very easy for you to say, no, this house, just similar as mine, just sold for a hundred. So no. So I see a lot of people that listen to cassettes or, you know, training, et cetera, that they tell them, hey, spray and pray, go, go make 300,000 offers for 50% <laughs> off and one will stick. You will get frustrated and perhaps make no money with doing that. These global offers, they may, you know, exist for a week in 2008. It's not a way of life. Real estate is a very accurate market. So don't look for the pricing to be what you want it to be when you enter it. In the stock market, it's, it's so different, right? In one month, it can go down like 35% and then go up 40%. And then if you look within the S&P 500, within the 500 companies, there are companies that are still down 80%. Right. So the pricing element is much different in the stock market. One can say, hey, this is worth this much. And another person can say this much, one would be wrong, one would be right, one would make money, one would lose none. In, in real estate, it's very easy. We even do this. We call comparables, comps. We even can know what a house or what an area is worth. So remember that. That's not where the value is created. The value is created in either the terms and because the prices are going to be what they are for the most part, right? If you don't mind waiting, then yeah, wait for the stress. Wait five, 10 years for a 2008 event. Sure. Be cashed up and then only buy in that specific period. Most people are not that patient and that's not their strategy. They just want to be in the markets all the time. You know, they will get inferior returns compared to problems that prices that arise only in end of the world situations. But on the flip side, look, in general, the best way to do it is just to keep doing it all the time. If you're in the markets, you will find opportunities that are interesting. And that will come about by networking with other people. You will start understanding where there are niches that you can get into. And I think that usually is where the golden goose is. Leor, perhaps one of the most powerful aspects of real estate investing is what you alluded to earlier, the ability to take out long-term fixed rate debt on a property now, with the recent CARES Act in this helicopter money, you so eloquently called it, that has created an influx of cash in our marketplace bound to create some inflation. What's your take on how those two things will marry up in the future? Oh, okay. Great question. Actually, if you go to wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash QE, which is quantitative easing, and wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash gold playbook, you will, see, which is the most comprehensive gold manual online, gold investing manual. In right now, the consumer, which is 70% of America's GDP. So 70% is spending. Mm -hmm. America's consumers were in their best shape in history going into COVID-19. 
Obviously, they're not there anymore, but the helicopter money is trying to make people whole. Different than what you saw in 2008, where basically the banking system got all the liquidity and all of the bailouts, and it didn't trickle down to Main Street, it didn't trickle down to the small businesses. This time, it's going to both, both corporate America and Main Street. And therefore, there is the risk contrary to 2008, where the money velocity was not there. What creates inflation is money velocity, where people spend real fast and don't save. At the aftermath of 2008, people saved because they were fearful. And then money velocity did not occur because CEOs kept money at the corporate level that didn't raise wages, were stagnant for like six, seven years after the crisis. And right now, that's not what's happening. Companies are slashing dividends and they're stopping to buy back their own shares, which was very popular in the past 10 years. There are many changes that are coming. And then, like you said, helicopter money. So many consumers think intuitively, these are crisis prices that I'm seeing right now everywhere. And in one year, they will be higher. Inflationary expectations are the number one, the primary source of inflation. In other words, let me say that again. It's just a psychology thing. Yes, exactly. Inflation is a self-fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) Um, You can create a lot of money, trillions and trillions of dollars, and they will just sit idle in bank accounts of either, you know, institutions, sovereign wealth funds, or corporations, and then individuals. And we will have basically just a lot of debt in the system and sort of a deflationary environment. And if consumers feel the other way around that, hey, prices will be higher next year. For example, gasoline prices, rent prices. If rent prices will be higher in one year, maybe I should take a mortgage out because I don't want to be a renter paying more. If gasoline prices will be higher next year, then I should do this, this, this. If clothing prices will be higher, etc. So this is creating the chance that there will be inflation. Here's the problem with America and with the rest of the world in terms of okay. uh, when you have zero interest rates, Jacob, you don't need runaway inflation in order to start chipping away at your, at your savings power, at your purchasing power of the dollar. Even if you have 2 to 3% inflation with zero rates, you're talking about an environment where in real terms, you're losing about 3% a year in purchasing power. So if you take that and take that on like a five to six year trend, you're losing about 20% of your purchasing power. So if you have a million dollars saved for retirement in 2020, you'll have 800000 dollars left in purchasing power in 2026. You'll still have that million dollars in cash in your checking account. They will buy 800,000 worth of 2020 stuff. So in that case, what will you tell yourself? What would you tell your future self? Should I just be sitting on cash? Probably not, right? Because I don't want to lose 20%. For I can avoid that by either investing here, investing there, putting my money here, etc. That is what we call a stimulative environment. That is what the Federal Reserve and the federal government are trying to create. A situation where people go back and spend and invest and build and do the rest of it so that GDP can rise, tax revenue can rise, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, more job creation. That's why you lower interest rates to zero. Like I said, the risk of doing that is that you create a higher than normal inflation. When you have higher normal inflation, if you're the CEO of Johnson Johnson, of Apple, of McDonald's, the big companies, then you have a problem because you don't know, when should I buy supplies? How much supplies should I buy? That creates a lot of uncertainty. Inflation is not good for corporations in general. In inflationary periods, you see the stock market returning less and commodities returning more. That's why I'm saying that 
gold could be an exceptional way to hedge right now your cash savings. Gold is up 75% in the last five years. That's pretty amazing because you should not compare it to productive assets like real estate and stocks. You should just compare it to cash. Yeah. For example, if in 2015 you would have taken $1,000, you would have been able to buy one ounce of gold. That same $1,000 right now buys half an ounce of gold. So you have lost in purchasing power a lot of money. That's why, as Robert Kiyosaki says, debtors are winners, savers are losers, right? And as a real estate investor, taking out that long-term fixed rate debt on an investment property, you are being a debtor and in turn a winner. Yes, but just be careful with that saying, you know, I read Kiyosaki, like I said, in that first year when I was 16, I was devouring all of it. Just make sure as when you do take out that debt, that the numbers still work. Don't just go out there and say, yeah, that's oh my a critical God, piece of this. I'm, gonna, I'm, <laughs> ju- I'm just going to take that out and I'll pay so much less in purchasing power in the future. That is good when it is serviced rationally. In other words, if the renter can, even if you have a renter only for 10 or nine months, you're still cash flowing, the debt is sensible to take on, the leverages make sense, etc. If not, then just don't do it just to do it, just to say, hey, I took out a, a loan. Sure. Yeah. There's a difference between good debt and bad debt, most, most certainly. Well, Leor, let's start wrapping up here. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days. We mentioned that you are currently in Tel Aviv, your home base, but you've been traveling the past two years. So what's life looking like for you right now? Well, fortunately, me and my wife, we have now a four-year-old. When she was two, we just did a two-year around the world visited like 25 countries, obviously working every day. But instead of when you have your free time every day, when you're uh, at the home base, you have your routine, we were being tourists for four or five hours a day. So literally just marrying two lifestyles, that of an entrepreneur and that of a tourist. So we got to see 25 countries and didn't you know vacation the full day, but just vacation the few hours out of the day that we can carve out. So we just spent more time in a given area. If you would as a tourist, spent two weeks in Los Angeles. We were there for two months and got the same stuff done, just in more time, but didn't have to sacrifice our business and our income, etc. So we did that for two years, just came back to Israel when this whole thing started. So that was very lucky. And with Wealth Research, with the free newsletter, what we really are focused on is what's happening right now with COVID. That is our primary focus when we publish our information and our articles. And we've put together a special report for your listeners in case there's a round two. So in case the the markets do sell off and go back to the March lows, if you go to wealthresearchup.com forward slash round two, round and then the number two, you can download a special report. And by the way, those other two links that I gave, the forward slash QE and forward slash gold playbook, they're both free PDF downloads that go through you know many subjects. Now, I created a watch list. So basically my own shopping list inside of the stock market, including limit orders. These are my personal ones. You have to research this yourself, do your homework, et cetera. Sure. But if you go to wealthresearchup.com forward slash list, you can actually download a list of about 23 very reputable companies. Some you'll know and some you won't know, but they're large. They're big companies. And you can look at them. These are the companies that I'm going to actually be buying if they enter my buy range if there's a round two. So if the markets do create a situation where you have another buying opportunity, because the Federal Reserve basically bailing out the stock market, it took, you had a week 
instead of having like a month or two to research this, you just had a week. So you need to be yeah, ready. Quick. <laughs> and that's why I'm saying you need a watch list. So hopefully people will go and check that out. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that. That's uh, wealthresearchgroup.com slash QE forward slash gold playbook and forward slash round two. We'll link all those in the show notes for audience members to go pick up. So really appreciate you doing that. And forward slash list for the actual list. Forward slash list. Got it. We'll add that one to the show notes as well. Thanks, Lior. No problem. Well, hey, as we're wrapping up here, let's wrap up with the lightning round. Just a series of questions we like to fire at every one of our guests. Are you up for it? Sure. Why not? All right, cool. Well, the first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? The biggest hurdle was to find the right partners to do this with because, well, you know what? The biggest hurdle was to do it alone. And then to overcome that, I found the right partners. That's the better answer to it. I have found in my life that if I have the right partners to do a business, it will work, (laughs) bottom line. And if I don't, if I try to do something on my own, I've never been successful doing anything on my own, any business venture on my own. Yeah. I completely agree with you there. Well, Leor, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Hopefully. What I think is helping me in managing my day is that two things. One, I leave one hour a day for reading, but literally reading something that is beneficial. So not like science fiction or just something for kicks, something for education. And I try to read stuff that I don't agree with. In other words, I'll give you a perfect example. Right now, people are all over this vaccine stuff. Vaccines are dangerous. You know, should we all take a vaccine for this? Is this a big conspiracy, etc.? So I want to know more about it. So I just read about it. I don't take sides. I read. And that's something that is really important for an entrepreneur to be tolerant. You go into a situation, you think you know the answer, you want everyone to align with your way of thinking. It doesn't happen. Should you be disappointed or should you be like a chameleon and change your colors, not changing your strategy or your goals, but just the way that you approach something. And reading really helps me to do that. So one hour of reading. And then I think something that's not for everyone, but if you can take a break midday and go outside, do something fun around 1, 2, 3 p.m., not at the beginning or not at the end of the day, but in the middle and basically cut your day in two, I think that is so beneficial. You just get a second wave. You do work in the morning, go for an activity during like your uh, 12 to 3, you know, 1 to 4, whatever, and then come back and do more work 4 to 8. That really helps me be more productive. Awesome. I like that. I'll have to start trying that out in my own day-to-day, especially with this new kind of work-from-home environment that we're all living in. So great advice there. Leeward, Aside from wealthresearchgroup.com, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day? Oh, 100%. So I get a lot of my news from zerohedge.com. I like that site because it's not mainstream. So that's one thing. I like to go on futuremoneytrends.com because that is an entrepreneurial-driven site. And they talk a lot about what's happening right now and what the people behind the site is are doing with their own funds. So I like that as well. And then I do a lot of YouTube. If you go on YouTube, I love a channel called Valuetainment. What I like about that channel is literally the guests are so phenomenal. What the host does is he reads a book and gets the author on the show. And you're talking literally 
brigadier generals, people that are, you know, Kobe Bryant was on the show, for example, before what happened to him. So these are high powered guests and a great show. And the host doesn't pull any punches. He just did a show with Ray Dalio, who is the richest man in Connecticut and one of the richest men in America. One hour and a half, and he took it to him. (laughs) You'd expect some, you know, easy questions, softball questions. No, good questions to the point. He did a few shows with uh, mafia bosses in the past. Just phenomenal shows. He did a show with a person who was serving 12 years in prison for real estate stuff that he did in 2008. So, you know, it's such a spectrum of things. Great show. Valuetainment is the channel. Patrick Bet David is the host. A very successful business person. Great. Thanks for that. We'll have to check it out. We'll certainly link that YouTube and those other resources in the show notes for audience members to check out. Lior, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? The book that I'm going to recommend, I read it in my life probably about 50 or 60 times. I read it every quarter. And the name of the book is The 17 Principles of Success by Napoleon Hill. The most famous book by Napoleon Hill is Thinking Grow Rich. Most people know that one. Sure. For 25 years, Napoleon Hill goes around, gets introduced to the most powerful industrialists of the turn of the century through the introduction from Andrew Carnegie, who basically took steel to the next level and became the wealthiest man in America. But what most people don't know, Jacob, is that Think and Grow Rich are principles that have to do only with material riches. And when he finished that book, he said, literally, in these words, some of the people that I interviewed are so wealthy, but they're poor in everything else. They're poor spiritually, they're poor mentally, they're annoying, they're hard to handle, they're hard to deal with, they're impossible people. And so he said, how can I create principles that are great for life in general. And he wrote the book, 17 Principles of Success. And those are just what we call today like holistic success, like all around success in life. That's just money, but everything else. I have read that book literally 60 times. I have to probably stop counting. Awesome. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Great book. Great, great book. The 17 Principles of Success by Napoleon Hill. We'll have to link that in the show notes. Once again, Lior. Last question in our lightning round if you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell yourself? I know at the time you had already started investing in stocks, but let's take it to a real estate perspective here. Find the right partners immediately. So I think literally, if you can do that, if you can find the right partners starting today, when you have the right partners, you have many more ideas that you run by people. And then you make fewer errors I'm not even talking about the network effect, the joint funds that you have together. All of that is great, but just bouncing off ideas and creating this environment of enthusiasm and everything else, that literally is what got all of the best entrepreneurs in the world where they are today. You take Bill Gates. He had Steve Ballmer by his side. He had other partners by his side. Some of them are nobodies today. Paul Allen, by the way, uh, who owned the Portland Trailblazers, et cetera. Warren Buffett got his real big jump when he met uh, Charlie Munger. Not many people know that. But look, even Michelangelo had a few people around him when he did even paintings. So, you know, Beyonce has a vocal guy. Nobody does it on their own, no matter what it is. Even tennis, like the most solo sport, you know, uh, fighter pilots, et cetera. All of them, they have people around them. Some of them, they, they're not referring to as partners, but what they are is part of their 
very uh, close-knit group. And that is what I would tell the 20-year-old self. Just don't waste any time looking for the right people. And that's the first step, basically, towards realizing what you're looking to do. I love it. Leo, so much great stuff on the show today. If our audience members want to learn more about you, connect with you, learn more about what you're doing, where's the best place for them to do so? I'd say the wealthfoodstube.com, right on the homepage, you can subscribe for the free newsletter. And that's basically a way for you to tap into my brain because that's the idea behind the newsletter. It's wealthresearchgroup.com. We'll certainly link that in the show notes. Lior, as we're wrapping up here, any parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience members? Yeah, I think a lot of people are now in a state of mind of fear and uncertainty. And I just have to recommend another book or just a way of life. The, one of the best books that I've read is called Triumph of the Optimists. Phenomenal book. It goes and shows all of the things that we went through in the 20th century. And Jacob, we went through a lot of them from World War I, World War II that wiped out half of my mm-hmm. family, for example. And here we are, right? We had the Spanish flu, influenza, famines, earthquakes, tsunamis. What did we not have in the 20th century? Yeah. And here we are. It, $1 invested in America's best businesses 100 years ago is worth more than 100 times what it was back then with everything that went on. Think about it. Think about a people that were born in 1910. When they were six, they had to go through, or four, they had to go through the First World War. When they were 30, a Second World War in a Pearl Harbor. Great Depression. When, you know, when they were six, Great Depression. When, when they were in their 50s, you know, they had to see a president get assassinated. Then they had to see, you know, uh, an oil shock. In the Everything is basically a lot of noise because we're progressing so fast. But if you open the news, you literally see just the bad stuff. In 2016, 40 million successful landings happened in airplanes around the 40 million. I said that again. You had 10 airplane crashes in 2016. 10. That's 0.000025% of the time. In the news, you will never hear. <laughs> right. Uh, today, 45,363 airplanes took off and landed. That is the truth. So just remember that. In 1800, 97% of the planet lived on the equivalent of $2 in today's money. 97% of the planet. In 1960, 50% of the planet lived on $2 a day. In 1960, today, 9% of the planet is living on $2 a day. That is the eradication of poverty worldwide. And you know people don't think about that. They think that you're still talking about a world where you know billions and billions are. It's not true. I've been to 45 countries, some of them uh, very much third world. It is not what you think. We live in a great time and value creation will always be there no matter what's going on. So just think of ways where you personally can tap into this free enterprise machine, especially if you're in America, and run with it. I love it. Lior, your perspective is contagious. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. Look forward to having you back on the podcast in the near future. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Sure thing, man. All right. Take care. All right. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Lior Gantz. Hey, I hope you got so much value from that conversation today. 
We mentioned a lot of things, a lot of resources, books, newsletters, etc. Those are all linked in the show notes. You can go to www.jacobairs.com where you can find the podcast or simply tap on your home screen on your phone and you can find all of those links. Well, hey, till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.